I was going to get Brendan to introduce me this morning, but I looked at the time and thought, wow, I've got 10 seconds. I don't know what that countdown is, but I hope it's not for me. Um, it's been an interesting morning. I always, I'm always intrigued in that whenever I come up with a, a good idea for a preaching theme or start something that I think is perhaps something that I can be clever with or, or that I can inject something of my own into, God suddenly reveals how necessary it is to actually listen to what he wants to say. And, uh, you know, we talk about uh, the last couple of weeks, or a couple of weeks ago, I started looking at how we as a, p a people of faith throughout the centuries have looked at the concept of mental health uh, in both helpful and unhelpful ways. Um, and here we find ourselves struggling at a place where our knowledge of mental health, our support of people in times of struggle is actually necessary. And so perhaps you should listen harder than normal this morning. God might have something to say to us. Because you know, the, the one thing that I've come to realize, and I think the one thing that as a church we've forgotten to do a lot of the time is that a community of believers should actually provide a safe space for a person who's struggling with life's difficult issues. Amen. Because I don't know about you, but life has thrown some curveballs at me occasionally. And so we need to have that grace and acceptance and a means of providing a practical help to get people in touch with God and, and, and receiving the help of the Holy Spirit. Because there should be no better place than the household of God to gain healing from pain caused from whatever, dysfunctional relationships, whether they be with God, with each other, with their circumstances. And so I, w I want to talk about four distinct points. Now, I'm going to take about, talk about one this morning, which is good. Now I've got two and a half minutes. I'm doing well. Um, it's counting up. Oh, infinite time. <laughs> uh, you put your coffee orders in over your phone because you're not going to get across the road this morning. Um, the first, I mean, we need to do, I think, uh, at least four things to come to grips with this whole idea of, of how we can be a positive influence in people's lives when it comes to mental health. The first thing we need is to actually be truthful and realistic about our existence. We, as human beings, live with hope and with frailty. Hope does not give us certainty. The, the, the biggest con in life is to actually be certain about what's going to happen in life because we, we don't know. But that doesn't stop us having hope. I love that idea of, of glimmers. Glimmers to me is the, a flash of light in a dark room. When all around is dark, suddenly you can see a light. It might only be there for a second, but it's enough to orient you, give you direction, and give you a purpose to move towards it. And so we need to understand that that's our hope. Uh, and I, I should have got Justine up here to preach this. Um, the glimmer, I love that idea. Anyway, so life is frail. The second thing we need to do, we need to, we need to move away from the idea that church is here to provide easy answers. 
If you've ever read the Bible properly, there are no easy answers in it. And we start. To, we need to get away from this idea of, okay, let's read the Bible. That verse really speaks to me. I'm going to memorize that one. Forget the rest of it. You know, all things work together for those who... Very comforting. But that's, if you put it into context, suddenly you think, ooh, there are no easy answers. And so we need, to, we need to move away from that idea and actually start engaging with all of the Bible. The third thing we need to do is understand that there are a couple of stories involved in the Bible and in real life. There's God's story. The Bible tells us God's story and God brings his story into our lives. And then there's our story. There's Jordan's story and Susan's story and Richard's story. Everybody's story. And the interesting thing is that your story is important to you. The rest of us don't give a stuff. <laughs> Unless you're willing to hear about my story, in which case I might listen to a bit of yours. But the actual, the real meaning and significance that comes to our lives is when the story of God and your story intersect. And so we need, we need to look at how that impacts our life, how the significance that we achieve is through the intersection of our life, our story and God's story. And the fourth thing is that we've got to get into this habit of reading and understanding scripture in community so that we can better understand what it means to be whole in all areas of our life. Now I want to talk this morning a bit about this, this idea of our, our existence and, and how we, we cope with, uh, with our own health in all sorts of ways. And I, I came across a clip. Uh, the, the clip is actually, and if you want to look it up online, it's uh, Mad TV Bob Newhart. It goes for about six minutes, which was a bit long, I thought, for this morning. So I, I've taken a, a, a two-minute clip of how to properly do a mental health evaluation. So I want you to turn your eyes to the screen, and we're going to learn from an expert. About the problem that you wish. I apologize for the quality of the video. It's about 2001. The rest of that clip is uh, equally as confronting. Um, but I, I showed that because I think that the, it typifies an attitude that well people have when it comes to sick people, especially in the realm of mental health. If you're having mental health problems, stop it. And that, that's something that people who have suffered through any form of depression or anxiety or whatever have felt, I, I guess, very um, insulted, might be a good word, or triggered. No glimmers involved in that one. Um, because of the, that lack of understanding, that idea that, that you know, if you've got a cold... Well, how would you think you're sniffing and somebody walks up and stop it. Just just get rid of it. Stop stop that sneezing. Stop blowing your nose. Stop coughing. Is it has that ever worked for anyone? And yet we have this same attitude. And admittedly that was two thousand and one. And I would hope that attitudes have changed somewhat, although Bob Newhart was obviously clever enough to recognise that it was uh, an area of our life that could be made fun of because of the stupidity of the idea but I want to ex expand a bit on that that first point uh, about the reality of our lives this morning uh, the fact that our existence is uncertain and that we hold on to hope in spite of that uncertainty because 
in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, we actually learn what it means to be human and what it means to be healthy, which includes mental health, from a, a biblical worldview. So who knows that the Bible thinks of things sometimes a lot differently than, than we do. We discover the characteristics of God in Scripture. And one of the things we discover is that he didn't create us because he needed us. You ever thought about that? His creation of us as humans was done out of love. And he designed us for relationship. And Genesis prevents the three relationships that we as humans all have. There's a relationship to God. There's a relationship with each other. And there's a relationship to our environment. And we see this in God's creative act of making humans in his image. Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And then he, he gave it, them to each other as companions. In verse 27, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And then he gave them a mandate to steward the earth. Fill the earth and govern it. In verse 28, reign over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And so the balancing of these three relationships is what determines our state of mental health from a biblical perspective. Now, the Old Testament was written by people with a very different concept of people. How people are described, how the idea of a, being a person is described in the Old Testament is somewhat different than our modern idea of describing a person. And consequently, their concept of health is also quite foreign to our modern way of thinking. Uh, interestingly, although they lived before modern scientific understanding and psychological research, they definitely recognize that humans are incredibly complex beings. For example, the Hebrew word for soul. Yeah, nefesh, that's right. Who said that? Um, is used in the Old Testament either to mean an individual or the innermost part of a person. And that's actually made its, its way in, into English. Uh, the aviation industry and the sailing industry, uh, we don't use the sailing industry quite as much, anymore but even uh, I don't know whether uh, ships do it today but uh, the, the whole idea of SOS although it doesn't actually mean anything it's not an acronym was used for the idea of save our souls and in fact uh, in air traffic when uh, airplanes are in trouble the air traffic controller will ask how many souls aboard and so that, that's translated that that's that they just mean people they're not being uh, um, religious in that sense. You know? How many saved people have you got on that plane? Um, it, it, they're just translating it as people. The Hebrew word for heart, lev, and whether that's how it's pronounced or not, I don't know, but that's how it's spelled, can be translated as mind as well as the physical heart. It actually means the physical heart. Interesting also, there is no Hebrew word in the Old Testament for brain. Now, it's not that they didn't know the brain was there but they didn't actually consider the brain particularly important when it came to our connection with God um, which is interesting um, but the words that they use actually don't not only describe the condition of a purpose a person but also the means through which they interact with God so when illness befalls someone in the Old Testament their whole person is affected not just their mind and despite our advances in medicine, I suggest we do well to take this into consideration today. 
So we need to ask the question, can, people of, can we be people of faith and live our lives as a faithful follower of Jesus if we suffer from a mental illness? Can anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD, ADHD, and all the other acronyms be part of the life of a true believer? Because after all, surely none of the heroes you read about in the Bible had any mental health issues. Well, you'd be surprised. The Bible is actually full of examples of those who exhibited symptoms of depression, anxiety, and other types of mental illness. Take King Nebuchadnezzar, for instance. Daniel 4.32 describes what happens to him. You will live in the field with wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, not normal behavior. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Now, this is one of the few cases where mental illness is actually a direct result of God humbling an individual. Often it could actually just be the result of living this side of heaven. Just as a person's body can be physically ill, an individual's chemical composition can be unbalanced. Mental illness can also result from poor decisions, as it did with Jonah. We, all, I think most of us know the story of Jonah. I mean, it's a simple one. God said, go to Nineveh and preach the good news. Jonah said, not on your nelly. And then after a few trials, he realized that he should have listened to God in the first place. But it finished Jonah chapter 4 verse 9. God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because a plant died? He had a plant shading him from the hot sun. And Jonah retorted, yes, even angry enough to die. And if you look, it's interesting, Jonah is one of the only stories in the Bible which actually doesn't have a definitive ending or conclusion. God leaves him there, or we leave the story, in a state where, because of Jonah's inability to make good decisions, he's stuck in a place where he, he's desperate and depressed. Um, trauma can cause mental illness. Uh, the story of Naomi and Ruth. Uh, shows us that um, after the death of her husband and both of her sons, Naomi takes Ruth back to her hometown of Bethlehem and the people of her hometown did not recognize her. In verse 19, the two women, women went on till they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them and the women explained, can this be Naomi? It could have a, a, a physical toll on our bodies. And then you've got the prophet Elijah. Who knows that he did some really rad stuff? I mean, he, he was... He, he did... This, this is ridiculous, I'm sorry. But he, he got the prophets of Baal and he said, look, if, if Baal is real, here's, let's have a barbecue on top of the mountain. I'll provide the wood and the flames. He could have fire lighters as well. He, he let them cheat. You put stuff on it and then, then let Baal light the fire. Nothing happened. He said, okay, well, now let's see how good God is. He said, wet the barbecue, take away all the, all the fire lighters, make it wet so that nothing's going to light, stick the sacrifice on it and see what happens. Boof. The fire, got, God got a bit over-enthusiastic. Not only did he light the barbecue, but all the prophets of Baal went up as well. Now, if you'd done that, would you sort of think God was on your side? What do you think that, sort of God had plans for you, that, that you, you had perhaps a mission that you could accomplish? 
And the very next thing that happens is that Queen Jezebel discovers that Elijah's killed all these prophets of Baal and she says, you're done for, I'm going to kill you. So Elijah says, try it, queen. God's on my side. No, he runs away. And not only does he run away, he runs away and he hides and he complains to God. He says, in 1 Kings 19.4, he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who, were already, who have already died. You still think, what is wrong with this guy? He was under stress. He had got to that point where he could take no more. Even, even the fact that God had been with him in mighty, mighty ways didn't protect him. And so there are, he, and he remained in that condition for 40 days and 40 nights. God had to feed him. King David, the man after God's own heart, dealt with being treated as the least of his father's sons. He was threatened by the king to whom he was loyal, and then he was betrayed by his own son. And so he, he wrote a lot of psalms. Have you noticed that some of the psalms are fairly dark? Psalm 6, verse 6, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. He sounds pretty down. There's an example in the New Testament you might not have considered. Martha. Martha's angry at her sister who's sitting at Jesus' feet instead of helping her prepare a meal for the guests who's been there. Frustrated, Martha finally approaches Jesus in Luke 10.40. And she came and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Sometimes we need to empty our life of some of the unimportant rubbish. So we can see that throughout the Bible there are people, frail people, people with issues, people with hang-ups, people who struggle with courage, faith, acceptance, stress and grief. And guess what? God does not condemn them, banish them or consider them useless. He does, however, give them hope. He reveals pathways to move forward, strategies to overcome their fears and purpose to bolster their self-worth. He will do the same for me, and he'll do the same for you. He will not sit across from us and say, Stop it! He's not that sort of God. George, can I have you up here for a sec? Next week, Pastor Greg French is with us, and I've asked him actually to encourage us out of his professional mental health background, but the following week, I want to continue and talk how we can be more practical about these ideas of, of acceptance from God and our relationship with each other. How to move away from easy answers. How to start engaging with all the Bible so that we actually are whole and complete in our understanding of our place and our purpose in God's plan. 
And I believe this will help us effectively reconnect with God. It'll help us reconnect with our church community. And it'll improve not only our mental health, but our ability to help others, whether they share our pain or not, or whether we share their pain or not. And so I want to leave you this morning with a psalm. It's a psalm of David. And it, it isn't a psalm with answers. It's a, a psalm that expresses fear and hope, frailty and strength. Almost like, as Pastor Phil would say, but God. Psalm 143 calls out, Hear my prayer, O Lord, listen to my plea, answer me, because you are faithful and righteous. Don't put your servant on trial, because no one is innocent before you. My enemy has chased me, he has knocked me to the ground, and he forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. But I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works and think about what you have done. I lift my hands to you in prayer. I thirst for you as the dry lands thirst for rain. Come quickly, Lord, and answer me, for my depression deepens. Don't turn from me, or I will die. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord. I run to you to hide me. Teach me to do your will for you, are my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing. Your faithfulness bring me out of this distress. In your unfailing love, silence all my enemies and destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. That is the psalm doesn't proclaim incredible victory over our circumstances because of our faith in God. What it does is ask us to push in, to trust, to rest. And I don't know where everybody is right now, but it doesn't matter whether you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, whether you feel that life is going up or life is going down, or whether you're in a holding pattern. The focus of our life needs to stay constant. And it may be something simple. God is good. That may be all you can hang on to for the moment. But hang on to it. Let's all stand before we close. I think most of us here know the love of Jesus. If you're here and you don't know the love of Jesus, you, you, you haven't actually accepted Jesus in, into your heart to acknowledge him as, as God. Say, so, yep, okay. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We, we all have to take that step at one point to actually bring ourselves into alignment as I, as I said earlier, it's the, the, the meaning 
in our lives comes when our life, our story and God's story intersect. So we can, we can actually walk parallel paths with God. We sort of know that there might be a God out there, but if his life doesn't intersect with ours, then we have no meaning, we have no purpose. So if you've never actually done that and you, you want to do that, you want, you want your story to intersect with God's story this morning, could I ask you just while you're standing in your seats, just lift your hand up so I can see it. And I'd love to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart. We'll do it all together as a group so that you don't have to stand out in the front and get embarrassed. But it's a, it's a great step to take to acknowledge your need for God in front of witnesses. And if we're all here as followers of Jesus, trusting in his faith, believing in his goodness, then I want you to pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm going through, I have put my trust in you. That will not change from circumstances or relationships. My trust remains in you, Jesus. Amen.